Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Well, we got another new podcast this week, Kev, and you just completed a job, just put a super duper Provia window, right? Ah, oh, love that window. It's love like it, a love cu- it. Custom, custom window, right? It was. Yeah, it was. It's actually a kitchen we were working on. We're just about wrapping up. And Diane and I were talking earlier this morning about the window. It's a different window from Provia. It's my first window, not door, window that I installed that had built-in blinds. Built-in blinds. So Diane's coming on to talk about the window. Now we're in the process of doing a kitchen. We're going to talk next week about our final wrapping up of the kitchen. Uh, since we're about 85% done, I just had to talk I'll about I'll tell you, it. I love that. I mean, you, you know my house. I have a lot of light in my house. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand living in a dark house. It's nice to have a lot of big windows. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just makes you feel good when you get up in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Her husband has built a backyard that looked like Augusta National with the flowers, the pool. They've got one of the best backyards you're ever going to see. Mm. And about, so this gives you a picture perfect. Oh, it's gorgeous. View of it. Okay. That's we good. were, it was first week in January. I went over there. We were talking about what could we do to really make this window pop. Mm-hmm. So the window itself was small, three small windows. And all you're looking at is the mullions, which are the divider that attaches the windows together. You're looking at a lot of wood or whatever it it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And grids, and it just Mm -hmm. wasn't right. And she said, well, look, and also the sun comes in. Trying to give her ideas of what is going to work the best Mm -hmm. in that area. And I said, well, listen, we'll put a Provia window in. We will put uh, the heiress window line, which is the light maple interior. And then we'll put built-in blinds because it already has the low-E glass. So the built-in blinds were shading at certain times of the day where the sun's coming in because it's one large piece of glass. <laughs> we finally got to be able to put that in, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So Diane's uh, here on the air to talk about that window that we installed from the time we actually installed it to now that it's finished. But we are still waiting for the tile to get put around it. So the granite's coming very soon, and then we'll put the tile around. And I'll be putting these pictures up on the Instagram. So these blinds in the window, you never have to clean them or anything, right? Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. So let's talk to the homeowner. Diane, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. So I know the big smile on your face after I installed the window was a a big jump. So why don't you explain in your words what you saw with the window for 25 years you've been living in your house, looking out to that back area in your kitchen? I mean, mainly I would have to sort of weave and bob a little bit to see the backyard because of all of the trim and everything inside of the triple windows. And so one of my big goals for our kitchen was to have a nice big picture window that when I look out and we look out, we can see our whole backyard and our woods in the back and our pool and just everything just wide open. And I'll tell you, this window does that. 
It is amazing. It's beautiful. It's big. It's everything I could have asked for. The blinds are wonderful because I get some sun from the western end in the mid to late afternoons. I can roll the blinds down. I can put the blinds down just enough so that I can still have my full view, but a little bit of shade from the blind takes that really harsh afternoon sun that I get once in a while away. That's not even involved in the window anymore. It used to be something where I would have to actually physically move a drape up and down on the window to keep that sun out and don't have to worry about that anymore. And then I just put it back up when that sun glare goes away and it's just perfect. I love it. I love it so much. Hmm. That had be was it tough to install. Had to be heavy, heavy window, right? They're heavy, yeah. yeah. Privy sure makes a are, very yeah. good window. Mm-hmm. So heavier the window, better the window is. I always say, yeah. And it's it had some weight to it, but it wasn't over large. It was two of us. We installed the windows. So it was not hard to do, but it's all about the prepping. And I was explaining. I explained it to all my homeowners and customers. And properly install a window. If you can do that from the beginning, you're never going to have problems. And step by step processes. Like Diane and I were talking several times about how this window should be installed. And I talked about the YouTube video that we did, the Pro Via Sugar Shack. Mm-hmm. installation and how important it is so with certain window companies and listen if you install a window anybody can do a window but it's properly doing and setting it up for the future that you are never going to have problems so it's nice that she was there and i got to show her step by step how we prep the wood frame open then we put the tyvek flex rubber on the bottom raise the window up so we can get the foam inside the window install the window put complete rubber on the outside so what this window was was a projection window which means the window didn't sit inside the envelope of the house there was a framing from the original builder that projects it out about 12 inches so it sticks out a little bit further than a normal window in an application so it gives her a little bit more windowsill so once we got it framed in we no put, grids no grids no no grids she has grids throughout the entire house but this window we decided not to put the grids in because it doesn't really look out of place and all this specifically was is that when you're by the kitchen sink or when you're walking say to the refrigerator stove you can see the complete backyard with an absolutely gorgeous view because Hmm. that's what this window allows Mm -hmm. because there's nothing interfering with the view that you're going to be looking at on the outside Hmm. yeah sounds fantastic so those steps of us doing the window because listen if you put a window in and improperly installed and you have problems the homeowner's calling you so why do it wrong from the beginning so it's that application that we put in all the rubbers and the foams and the sealant around that window it's going to ensure that nobody's going to have a problem Mm-hmm. And that's the step-by-step process of, number one, how the window's installed. Look, the beauty of the window is one thing, but you still have to install it properly. And if you don't install it properly, everyone can complain about the window, but it's really the installer. Most expensive window just goes down the tubes if you don't put it in right, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So we got it in. But so, Diane, when I told you the window was in, you came around. What was your first reaction? I just loved it. I loved it so much. It's so inviting. It just adds so much more light into the room, even though we had the same size window, you know, we had so much wood in between. This one just knocks it right out of the ballpark. It's awesome. And I will add, I remember you had mentioned to me about looking at it from outside. Looking at it from outside is equally as awesome. It looks amazing from the outside looking in. It's a game changer. It really is. It's a game changer. And I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to show me how you were installing it properly. And I think that's a really big point is that oftentimes homeowners don't really know how things are being installed. And we trust the person that's doing the job and that they're going to do it right. But I mean, Kevin showed me step by step everything that he did and I couldn't be happier. I really couldn't be happier. It was just like, it's amazing. I love it. Probably does a lot for the appearance of the back 
of the house too, doesn't it? It really does. It looks great. It looks so great from the back of the house. It really does. What I did was I was waiting. I was cleaning it this morning because mm-hmm. I just had to put some sealant on the outside. Well, here's the other thing we're talking about, which I will have the pictures up on the social media, Instagram and Facebook, is st- the steps it's going to incur. So number one, the window's in. It looks great. But you still see all the rough framing around. And then it was about two days later, the next day, I put the trim around the window. So it's the jam extension, which is a nice deep jam extension. Then I put the three and a half inch trim with the backer rod around or the back band that we put in there. That's done. It's painted. And Diane, from the window installation to the trim, did it make a 100% difference, better of a job because you're actually seeing finished work now? Yeah, it looks great. I mean... You don't realize as you're doing the different steps, you don't realize the big changes that happen as you're adding the trim and painting and just doing all those little extras. You know, most people don't, I think, see it from that whole, from the whole process. They're probably maybe building a newer new home or something and they're just walking in and the window's done. And they don't realize all of the steps that are involved with putting that window together to really finish it. It just looks great. And then it'll be one more step coming up next week. It'll be the installation of the backsplash. And that's okay. going to make that and, window. And that completes the job or what? And the job's going to be done. Okay. Right. Yeah, job's going to be done at that point. So it's about a three and a half week turnover time between us ripping the kitchen out and putting everything back together to mm. the granite, to the installation of the mm. sink and that. And that's what we're going to have her back on for a final. That's new cabinets too? Yeah. Oh, three and a half weeks. So you don't have any supply chain issues anymore, right? Well, we're going to get into that next week because we're going to be talking about, we're, we're probably right now three quarters of the way through the kitchen done. Mm-hmm. We're just waiting for the granite company, which again, it's a domino effect. Once that gets rolling into place, then we can finish up. But, uh, but it's not the way it was like a year ago, right? With um, a year up. ago, well, why don't we talk about it next mm-hmm. week until let you know any of the issues that we ran into. But it, it, we we were having a great time with the job. But I really wanted to talk about the Provia window because I it's the first time I ever installed a, a window. And I've done a ton of the doors, the patio doors, the indoor doors mm-hmm. with the blinds in between. But I never did a window. And it looks amazing. So that's why I want to talk about it, about the Provia installation. So I want you to hang tight. And what we'll do this next week, we'll get you back on and we will talk about the installation of the kitchen and how far it's going and what do you love about the job? Okay. Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. In the horror story, they were talking about something really unusual, <laughs> right? Something that never happens. A contractor not calling somebody back, right? Never happens. It was funny what sparked this up beside people telling me about it. I'm at the job working every day. So when I get back into the office, I always make my calls. If it's not too late, I'll make them. If not, the following morning. But you got to call people back. Email, call. It's so important. First thing people say to me, hey, thanks for calling back. Well, isn't it? It's unusual. People look at, you know, I think I know what this contractor's problem is. We've talked about it many, many times. Phone breath. Bad phone breath. (laughs) He's afraid. He's afraid to call people. I don't get it because if they're complaining about work, they're complaining about work slowing up. Why would you call somebody back? Because it's really tough to get a job if you don't call those people back. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Or if you don't answer your phone. If you don't answer your phone, it's tough to get work too. <laughs> Emails, office phone, something, anything, cell phone, but just call somebody back. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of the biggest complaints, but this is one thing that if you're our listener and you're trying to get some work done, I'm going to give you the first bit of advice. Listen, I was away last week, so I did let people know if you did call the office that I'll return your call, but you can also email me that I'll be receiving emails. I was out of town doing something. I'll get back to you. Even on vacation, I'll still get back to you because people want that response back. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to give 
anybody a phone call do you want to hire that guy hey i called well, 17 times know, today people people they're not into deferred gratification so if you're not calling back and you're not calling somebody back maybe a day will go by second day will go by after that they're dialing somebody else up probably yeah yeah i it's i, I think it was one time i got a phone call and they said uh, yeah you didn't call back within the hour i said well it's understandable i said well good luck with it she's like well aren't you upset i'm like well no i said because if you don't know who we are, number one is that I'm the one physically doing the work. So do you want me by my phone while the job's going on? Or do you want me at your house physically doing the work? Oh, that's a good point. So I said, I always make the phone calls between 4 and 4.30, 5 o'clock. I don't want to bother you during dinner. So then I'll call maybe around 7, 7.30, but I don't call after 8 o'clock. Or the next morning, it'll be after 8 o'clock because I don't want to wake you up just in case. Mm-hmm. But I said, I always make phone calls back or you can email. You got to make the call back. That's what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people were saying to me, you know, I, I, I called a landscaper. I called some guys to do some pavers. I called some guys stoning. I called contractors, roofers. They don't call back. And I just couldn't figure out why they wouldn't call back if they knew they were getting work out of it. So that was one of the things I like to get people. It's got to be bad from phone breath. It's a nasty phone breath, and there's possibly. I mean, how could you? It's a. Hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a contractor. Well, what do you like to do? Not answer phone calls. Yeah. Well, how how long are you going to be in business doing that? Uh, probably not a long time. Mm-hmm. And why is it going so rampant? I mean, there's. I mean, everybody's a contractor right now. If you ever notice the uh, here in Pennsylvania, they have this Pennsylvania HICPA mm-hmm. license number, yep. and if you're really high in a hundred thousand plus, you're a newer company. And if they're not calling back, how long are you going to stay in business for? Now, look, I don't do any advertising. I don't want to do any advertising. I'm very blessed for the 34 years that I've been in business that I'm getting so much work because it's repeat and referral business. But I still have the same office phone for the past 34 years. But I always made it a point to call people back. So when I talk to a few of these guys that are so-called contractors or landscapers or anybody in the business, I ask them, why don't you call people back? Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a little busy. I said, wow, you're busy? What do you do during the day? Because I know they just drive around and they're salesmen for the company because it's all subcontracted out. I said, what do you, what do, you do? I said, I, listen, and we were talking about it. Here's what I do. I said, well, I, I start at four. You'll see my emails going out because you see them around four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. And then I go to I the job. I don't see them at that time, actually. <laughs> well, you see they're at least dated. But I get in and I make my calls. And then I have to do any sales calls at night. I'll do that and I'll get back in and get my emails done. But I said, I'm working 15, 16 hour days, five, six days a week. It gets tiring. But the most thing, important thing in business is calling people back. Because if you don't call back, you're not getting jobs. That's absolutely correct. You know, it's not osmosis. You know, you don't just show up at somebody's house expecting to do work. You've got to give them a call. You got to work the process. And I always tell them, if you're not calling from the beginning, you're probably not going to get the job. I mean, that's a red flag right there. If you're not calling back, hey, you didn't call back, but we're really looking to use the guy because we think he's really good. Okay, good for you if you want to start. That's probably your first red flag. Number two is, if they do call you back, how comfortable do you feel with this guy? I wouldn't feel comfortable at all. At all. I like people who are responsive responsive you know you say a and they say b or whatever it is you know you call them or you text them i don't care whether it's a call a text a a, or a uh an email you know an attempt an attempt yeah if that works there's so many ways to communicate today right but you you and i see we we send all these emails out and we don't get responses back well you know what i normally do on, on uh to interview people you know for the feature i normally I've very really had a roadblock in that area because everybody wants to be, you know, on the radio, on a podcast or whatever and tell their story. So I never really had that much of a problem with it. 
every once in a while you run into something, but mm-hmm. it's very rare, very rare. That's one thing nice here doing the podcast gives it that flexibility. But I remember I told you a couple times we're replays because people are busy. Now, look, I get it. But it's that communication thing. Like, if I see it out there, I just want to do my best to do it. But when people are telling me that, I can't get a contractor, at least on the phone. Like, how, how does that work out? Because there's so many more. Well, con- I would just move on. I would just move on. And, and, you know, if you get a referral, if you get referrals, right, I would get referral different people. What's a car mechanic, whatever it is. I would get three referrals. I dial one. If I don't get a call back in uh, like a day, day and a half, I dial number two. If I don't get a call back. I dial number three. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna chase anybody. I'm just not gonna do it. It's a good point. Yeah, definitely a good point. The reason why when people are like this, you well, listen, it must be you know nice to get all the phone calls and and I said, well, look, I've been blessed to do that. But I said, picking and choosing jobs. It's 34 years of being in business. But here's one thing that if I get a call, uh, they say, hey, look, you know, I'm looking for an estimate. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm listen. You're you're the 37th guy I called. I'm like, well, I'm probably not the guy that you're going to be uh, using on the job. But good luck with your job. Because I don't want to be involved in somebody that's just looking for a low price, doesn't care what they're doing, uh, don't care about the workmanship. And uh, that's not my kind of clientele. My clientele are somebody that wants to have a great job. I really appreciate the work and effort that I put into doing such a great job. Because we're not subbing it out. Like when it comes to the window install uh, that we did with Diane, uh, I'm the one physically doing it. So I want to make sure that it's step-by-step, those processes go through, that it's done the way I want it. Because if it's not done that way and there's a problem, they're calling me back. Here's one thing I love about the uh, the callbacks. There's a problem on the job. Trying to get somebody back once there's a problem with the contractor on the job, that's the fun part because nobody wants to ever come back for fixing problems. Mm -hmm. That I very rarely see. That's one of the biggest complaints is they're not calling back after they got the job because they got your money. And then number two is how they fix certain things. I mean, it's, we're opening up a can of worms to talk about the horror stories about how bad it is if you're not calling back, let alone you did the job, took people's money, you have a problem, and you're either fixing it with caulk or just doing something just to get by because it wasn't done right from the beginning. I mean, there's we could open up, which avenue do you want to go down with these, start with the phone calls? You know, I can never figure that out. I can never figure that out. If, if a contractor's got a problem, and you, I would think it would probably be a recurring problem where he's not doing something right, but he's doing the wrong thing over and over and over again because he just doesn't know, versus getting bad calls from customers and having go back and like retrace your steps all the time and not moving forward and making progress. Why wouldn't you want to solve that problem? See, here's the thing, being a contract, again, I can't mention any names, but I know there's companies, larger companies, that just have a crew to fix their subs' mistakes. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> or big builders. They have people like you fixing their mistakes, right? Yeah. Big builders. Because they're ripping through, trying to get in, get out, and get their money. And that's why the, they're millionaires, and I'm a guy that's got to work 16 hours a day to make ends meet. Well, there are exceptions to that rule, too. I mean, we got some really quality builders in our, in our area. I will, I, I will say my buddy just bought a house in Florida mm-hmm. and the builder down there, I, it was amazing just listening to him. The realtor they were dealing with, the, the, the company that they bought from, they said, listen, the house is already built. They bought the house. So they went in, saw it, done. The builder said, even though we're making settlement, even after that, if you see something, we'll be there within 24 hours to fix it. I said, I told my buddy Mark, I said, listen, that, that, that's a good builder. Absolutely. So somebody that will come in and say, just tell us what it is in 24 hours over there and we're going to have it right just for you. So uh, to me, that's a good builder. I might even have to, we might have to call them up. They're down in Florida. They're big in Florida on building down there because the building uh, has slowed up uh, down in certain areas. Well, I can understand. I mean, Florida's getting really seriously overbuilt now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
down yeah. like the Naples area. And That's where, yeah, we were from Naples, Sarasota to Naples. You can yeah. see a lot of building, but then you're starting to see roads where it's a dead end. So they're setting up for the future, but nothing's getting but that done. But goes, that goes out from the coast, right? Correct. It's going it, out to mockery places like that, right? East of 75. Yeah, I yeah, called yeah. everything was east of 75. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, nothing yeah, built. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I did get to pass by Babcock Ranch on the way home. Oh, did you see it? No, I just I was going up 75 and I saw signs for Babcock Ranch at Fort Myers. You should have stopped. Yeah, I mean, the little bit of time that we had down there, but it was nice to see uh, just a general location. Because we had him on the show and it was it was great having them on. So it was a lot of fun to talk to about what he was doing for that futuristic city in the uh, Naples area. Yeah, I think they're doing real well too. Babcock Ranch is good. It's good if you if you don't have to dip, dip your toes into the Gulf of uh, Mexico and you can be a little bit inland. It's a great place to look into if you want to buy a place in Florida. And I will say this: further inland you go, the more reasonable the prices are for the homes. Well, the more reasonable, and then the storms sort of dissipate when they get to that. That, Correct. That far in, you know? So it's a good place to be. And listen, stick with us. This is going to be a very, very interesting segment coming up in our feature this week with Mike Salucci from Salucci Forehand Insurance in Springfield, PA, who's going to draw a major contrast between regional home insurance companies and national companies and how they spread the hits they take because of floods, fires, and everything. Regional companies that are in safe areas in the United States, you sure with them? Your rates aren't going to go up as much as they are with a big national company who's spreading the risk. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we can never, ever heap enough praise on Provia products. Like, say, their metal roofing. That's right. Provia metal roof replicates the classic look of cedar shake, quarried slate, and clay tile. Manufactured with 26-gauge galvanized steel and designed to withstand damaging hail, torrential rains, intense UV rays, and strong winds, a Provia metal roof is the last roof you'll ever need. With your roof covering 60% of your home's exterior, you'll appreciate the value of a Provia highly aesthetic metal roof that improves your home's curb appeal, provides 50-plus years of protection, requires little to no maintenance, and generates energy cost savings. And Provia's metal shake, slate, and barrel tile roof systems are made right here in the USA with domestically sourced steel, a portion of which is high-quality recycled steel. Okay, Ron, it is time for the featured segment. I knew you and I have been talking a couple times about insurance, why the premium's been going up, and I know you have something great coming on. Yours did, and you switched insurance companies, didn't you? Well, I actually, with my shore house, I actually went to the same company, but I had to lower the price of my insurance amount, and I raised the deductible to get the cost down, because I never have claims, so I'm not too worried about the deductible. Okay, I understand that. Today, we're going to hear from Mike Salucci from Salucci Forehand in uh, Springfield, PA. His company represents Erie and other regional insurers who have been able to, for the most part, keep rates reasonable. And there's a reason for that. Mike's been on before to Your Valuable Home. We always appreciate your time and expertise. Mike, welcome back. Hey, Ron, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Well, you represent Erie, which is my insurer, and, and yours now too, right? Well, I've certain, been with Erie yeah. with my company oh, okay. for a long time, but all everything's right. going to Erie. All my homeowners and all my personal is going to Erie because of that reason. Okay. Yes, that's correct. We do represent them along with some other carriers, but the majority of our business is with Erie for a number of reasons, but they're a great carrier and, and have been able to weather a lot of these tough markets and cycles that uh, some of the other carriers have been struggling with and what's going on right now. Well, in which states does Erie provide insurance? So they write in 13 states, obviously Pennsylvania, which is where we are. And then they're D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, missing West Virginia, Wisconsin. So they kind of, you know, they're pretty picky about where they are, where they decide to write business. And so if you look at that mix of states, I mean, 
I guess you could say New York or some of them may have, or North Carolina, I'm sorry, Maryland probably has a little bit of coastal exposure, but most of the other ones are relatively benign states, right? They're not down in Florida, they're not on the coast, they're not prone to earthquake. Weather, who knows anymore, could happen anywhere, it seems like. Exactly, uh, yeah. But they're not, I mean, the history of it is, I think there are five top states and none of them are in Erie's portfolio, from what I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of different data out there in terms of top states and so. But you're right. I mean, there's usually that. I think it's like you know, obviously California, Florida, you got a little Texas, Mississippi down south there. But right, they they don't do business there. I don't think they have any intentions of doing business there, and they haven't since. I mean, Erie was founded in 1925, and so they've grown a little bit by adding a few states in the last few years. Like Kentucky was their latest, but you know they're pretty conservative about where they go, and just because claim severity is up, right? That when you look when you talk to carriers, the frequency of claims is really no worse than really any other years. It's just that every claim that they have is significantly more expensive to them, whether it was a weather related issue or even just something like your car. You know, it costs a heck of a lot more to replace a bumper on a car if you can even get the parts than it did a few years ago. So it's just driving up insurance costs across the board. Yeah, think about all the electronics just in your mirrors. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the days of the oh, probably knocking off into something. Right. Right. Probably it's knocking off there. a two thousand dollar part there if you if you go over the bridge like you go over the bridge yesterday. like I just did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Easily. Easily. But I fixed it myself. It's all good. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mike. Also, with the amount thing, I know Ron and I talked about this several times. One of the things I uncovered a half a trillion dollar industry was roofers that are claiming hail damage or storm damage when you know there's no damage or saying quote quote there's damage that's got to be driving the cost up uh, with that also it definitely is and so you know insurance fraud if you want to call it that whatever that's always been something that's been around but it is worse especially when you have these catastrophic weather events because not only there's obviously multiple houses communities impacted in these types of things and so these hail chasing contractors whatever you want to call them are preying on the fact that the insurance companies are just overwhelmed with claims and they're just going to kind of write checks to help their customers and, and move on to the next one. And yeah, there's been plenty of stories and we've seen it where these contractors have actually gone up on the roof saying they're going to do an inspection for free and actually cause damage and then try to get it submitted. And that's a whole nother mess that's just adding to this mess. Yeah, it's a whole other kettle of fish. Who are these other small companies that they represent and where do they do business? So the other carriers, we represent about 10 companies in total, and the other regional carriers, so one of them is called Philadelphia Contribution Ship, which is actually just a, a property-only carrier. It was actually founded by Ben Franklin, the old, oldest insurance company in America, which is pretty neat, which is right downtown Philadelphia. How about that? And, they, and so they write in three states, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Virginia. So they're pretty regional to hear. Grange Insurance, based out of Columbus, Ohio. They have a similar footprint to what Erie has. They're a large carrier in Ohio. That's, like I said, where they're domiciled, but just where they've done business for a long time also. And then Westfield is another insurance company you may have heard of, also Midwest company. And I think they're in maybe 15, 16 states to be all kind of a similar footprint, maybe adding one or two adjacent states to the ones that I mentioned for Erie. But again, definitely staying away from the most of the coasts and down south. If somebody's interested in saving money on their homeowners, and probably a car insurance now too, should they seriously look at a regional company, some of the companies you just recommended? I think they should. I mean, I think in general, they should just kind of, if they haven't shopped their insurance, they should just take a look. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of people are finding is what they have is still better than what they can find elsewhere because there's a number of variables that go into pricing insurance. But a lot of when you're shopping for new insurance, 
you know, there could be prior claim activity. There could be prior things that are impacting your ability to get a competitive rate now, whereas your current company, although they've taken a rate increase, they may not be taking as much rate as you may be seeing if you're trying to buy a new one. And there are carriers out there that actually aren't even writing new business or trying to limit how much new business they take. So regional carriers are a great place to start just because we've seen them do a little less of the rate changes than some others, but they're still happening, right? So it used to be that, you know, if you and I around lived across the street and we have a similar house, the cost of our insurance would be the same. That's just not the case anymore. There's so many variables that go into pricing insurance and they look at insurance scoring, which is kind of like a credit model, all this kind of stuff that we could have the same exact house and we could be paying very different prices in insurance. So it's always worth the exercise of calling a few, maybe throwing a regional company in there and just taking a look and seeing what's out there compared to what you have. You mentioned that, uh, you know, most of these things happen in the same place year after year after year, but the event that happened in California with the rain and everything, with this the atmospheric the river, river yep. yeah, and it keeps coming back and, and, and hanging over L.A. and San Diego. A lot of those people are not covered, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, water damage is kind of one of the most common types of property claims that's out there, and it's everything from pipe bursts to hot water heater blows or whatever, but the, the tricky ones are when we have these crazy storms and there's moving groundwater or ground-saturated water or or something that is freak, like kind of happening in California. I mean, it's obviously reoccurring, so it might not be considered a freak anymore, but yeah, these people weren't in high-risk flood zones where even mortgage companies or banks or whoever required them to carry flood insurance, and most people don't because flood insurance is okay. It's not the best, but usually people just get it when they need it or when they're in an area that somebody requires it. So most of those type of scenarios are not part of homeowner's insurance, nor could you even buy coverage under your homeowner's insurance for it. And so I think that's why some of these carriers are saying, okay, well, this is going to be a common theme of a type of claim. Either we need to figure out a way to develop coverage and have our customers, if they want, buy it, or maybe we just have to get out of this area because it's going to keep happening and we and we can't figure out a solution for it. Because sometimes it impacts other portions of the house that could be turned into insurance claims. A hard water is a hard thing to navigate through. But Mike, you know, for these people that have these trouble getting homeowners insurance, or if they're buying a house somewhere down the shore, would you recommend what I like to do is go with a higher deductible? Absolutely. I mean, that we're doing that for not only areas that are difficult to get coverage, but just as people are experiencing these rate increases, the first question is, is like, what can I do? And that's the that's the first thing to look at is your deductible, because historically, people used to carry pretty low deductibles. I mean, we used to see $500 deductibles, 750 deductibles, and now some companies don't even sell anything less than 1000 I mean, On my own homeowners, I carry a $2,500 deductible. So it's just one of those where it's, everyone has their own comfort and threshold of where do I want help? But that's the first thing to look at because it minimizes those smaller claims and insurance companies are willing to give you a pretty decent discount for it. What is Erie's maximum deductible you can get? 10000 If your house is getting worked on, if you're getting worked on by a contractor, maybe you talk to him about some future things that you could do to prevent some of these catastrophic losses. Because if it's all done, you're, you're sure that you're probably not going to need it. And you're not one of the persons that like to put in all the claims, like Mike just said, smaller claims. Maybe go to the higher deductible if your house is either redone, brand new, something where you're being built. Yeah, I built agree with that. that. That's that's all right. I think I think mine's around a thousand, isn't it, Mike? Something. Yeah, I think yours is fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Okay. All right. Yeah, and that's kind of that. That thousand to twenty five hundred kind of seems a sweet spot. And and we do have customers that have five thousand, ten thousand. And to Kevin, your point, usually they're newer homes. 
or they're re- renovated where they say, hey, we got a pretty good pulse on all this stuff being pretty new. And sure, something could happen, but we're, we have the financial wherewithal to take on more. And I wouldn't submit anything less than 10000 anyway. Like those are the types of scenarios. And you do get some savings for it. But the push of a button and a call to your insurance company, they could, they could say, here's, here's how much you save and here are the deductible options. So it's a good thing to look into. Good. I want to get back into sort of the uh, macro view of this. Have Erie or the other companies you represent ever had to pull out of states because of unacceptable losses due to natural events? The companies we currently represent have not pulled out of any states. Over the 20-some years we've been doing this, we've had a carrier here that have left the state of Pennsylvania, not necessarily just because of weather events. A lot of times it's when a company says, hey, we want to do business in this new state, and they go into it, and they think they had all the data and all the claims experience, and then they really have a rough go at it for whatever reason, whether it was just a bad weather year or a combination of things or they can't get their pricing right, and then they pull out. Sometimes it's just even just the insurance department in that state, the legislation in that state doesn't allow them to do things, to make money, to change rates the way they want to. So New Jersey is one of those states where that happens constantly. Companies are constantly coming in and out for a number of all of those reasons. We are licensed in New Jersey, but those regional carriers that I mentioned that we represent don't even write there for those reasons. So we've been lucky because it does leave the customers a little bit of high and dry. I mean, they give them a heads up and you get some time to figure out where else they can go and what you can find for them. But there's not always an easy solution. And so we try to partner with companies that we know have a pretty good track record in the states that they do business in and, and hopefully it's stable. So it's a more conservative approach to probably car insurance and homeowners, correct? It definitely is. Try to find the best solution for our customers and keep them happy and make sure that they're right with the, with the right company and to put them with carriers that could be new and the newest, latest thing and they have really sharp, low pricing at this point, but then next year they're gone. It's just frustrating for everyone, so we try not to do that. Have Erie and other companies that you represent ever had to pull out of states because of unacceptable losses? No, not the companies that we represent. Some of them are struggling more than they have in the past, but they're not at that brink where they're, they're going to have to pull out of the states. We haven't heard anything. Some of them are just trying to slow down the business that they're writing in these current states just to kind of make sure that they can handle it and handle the claims that come with it. Now, in terms of like the last couple of years, can you compare the, the companies that you represent and their increases over the last couple of years in terms of magnitude vis-a-vis the national companies that were in Florida and California? Yeah, I could give you some estimates mm-hmm. there. I mean, you know, the, the market, as I mentioned, goes through these cycles, right? So in, when it's not in this, what we call a hard market now, when it's kind of the softer, flatter market, usually we'll see, you know, everyone sees their rates jump around a little bit, right? But maybe it's a zero to five, 6% plus or minus, And that's kind of what people expect. The last 18 months to two years, I would say that our regional carriers, and we'll just we'll talk about property insurance now, so homeowners, the regional carriers are somewhere between, we've seen like 12 to 25, wow. 30% rate increases. That's a big delta. It's significant. <laughs> yeah. It's totally. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's, so again, there's, there's a ton of variables that go into pricing that, but I'm just saying on average, and, and it's, there's different, like if they took a 20% rate increase in Pennsylvania, that's not 20% for everybody in Pennsylvania. There's some that are getting 11, there's some getting 22, there's some getting 24 based off of where they live and all this kind of stuff. But so regionals are in that range and the nationals, you know, we've seen they kind of on the low end, they're there, they're there, but we've seen some in the 40 to 45, 50% on the top, top end of rate increases. So they're not all, not all national carriers are doing that, but we've definitely seen a bigger delta with those guys. It's definitely on the higher side. That's huge. Well, my HO6 down the shore went up 38%, and I've never had a claim yeah, on any of my homes 30, ever. 38%. 38%. 
See, I, when I was talking to my agent, I said, listen, I get it. I understand. But for, I, I, and I get the replacement cost value, but nothing's going up over the past couple of years. Let's talk about all the claims that I had. Well, she never had a claim. I'm like, absolutely. Don't you think I should okay, not so be getting what, it? Was, what's, what's the deal? They said, that's what it is. <clears throat> that's what it is. I mean, and then we checked other carriers and it was still even higher than that. I've never had a right. claim on homeowners ever in any of the homes. It just went up. So what I did was lowered $100,000 for the interior. Then I moved the deductible from 1000 to 5000 to get the price somewhere where I could make it affordable. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. I mean, we're having those conversations all day, every day. It's frustrating for both sides because I mean, we don't control the pricing. We understand where the insurance companies are coming from, and some of them are doing it kind of a bit aggressively, you know, we think. And you know, the customer saying, hey, look, I, I've been a pretty good customer. And it's like, well, you know, the concept of the insurance is they're not just – worried about your premiums and, and your claims. They're kind of looking at this as a whole pool, which is the concept of it. And so everybody's getting it. We're all sharing in it. And nobody likes that when they've been claim-free. Right. You know, you, you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago where Kevin and I live in the same street. He's across the street from me. He could be paying a higher rate than I'm paying. I always thought it, it could vary in states, you know, by like if you're in San Francisco or something like that, or if you're in LA versus uh, Northern California. It used to be, I would say, zip code level would have been the was the most narrow it's been. But with just the amount of data that's out there now that insurance companies have, I mean, there's certain they can price specific coverages to the household level. So they could say, water backup coverage for Kevin's house should be this, and it should be this for Ron's house. What about somebody so, with a pool versus no pool? Exactly. There's okay. all those factors. Look at a pool. How long have you owned the house? The age of the house. The age of the roof. What kind of heating system? Your credit, and so all sorts of things that they, thousands and thousands of price points and variables that go into it, and we don't see all that. I mean, we're just kind of making sure you have the coverages you need, the insurance companies, based off of what we know and what you've told us and what the customers told us, here's what the price is. Now, do the same factors apply to automobile insurance? They do. They Very do. Similar. How about that? Yeah, okay. they do. They do. <clears throat> And even some of them cross over. Some carriers actually look, when they're looking at your homeowner's insurance pricing, they say, well, what's the story on the auto? Did you have accidents? How many cars do you have? How many drivers do you have? All things that they think are some predictors of potential homeowner's claim. It's pretty complicated stuff. It's tough for me to understand is that if you never have claims on any of homeowners or auto, that well, you're they're paying pick, such they're picking a picking up on something that they're not telling you about. It, 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 to yeah. say it is well, what it is, is not great. Right, exactly. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those. So in your scenario, it's one of those where the insurance company says, hey, we look at New Jersey. I'm just going to use it. It's going to know where specifically their house is. But we'll say, hey, we look at New Jersey on a whole. Our claims experience as a whole there, we need to hit whatever the profit margin is to be profitable. We need filing of 38%, right? And so then they go to the processes. They go to the New Jersey State uh, Insurance Department and say, hey, insurance department, I'm using a company name. Company A says we need 38%. And then the insurance department reviews it, says give us the, the findings, the data behind that. And they say, great, we'll approve 28%. So now they say, okay, well, we can get 28 of our 38. And then they look at all of their policies, and then they start chopping it up for, okay, well, if we need 28, we're going to get 28 on average. You know, Kevin's getting 38 because his house or his unit is closer to here, the beach, whatever, and these people that are more inland are getting 11, and so it all comes out to that 28, and they just do that rate review. Some of them are doing it multiple times a year, 
and they'd like to do it more frequently, but the insurance departments, which are trying to protect consumers, obviously also delay or hold up how quickly and how much rate they can get. They put the uh, lid so on that. that's the whole mm-hmm. process. They do. They put the lid on mm-hmm. it and they say, well, you just did it six months ago, so you can't or you can take smaller. And so that's kind of the process behind the scenes. But yeah, there's so many variables as to who gets what, when, once they figure out what they're allowed to take from the state. Yeah, that's what I did. Exactly what you said is with my house, I put a new mechanical system. I put brand new siding on, brand new windows, brand new roof, brand new doors. Everything's brand new because I didn't want any problems down the line from the insurance company. I figured what you just said should be incorporated into what I'm doing. Seems that way. I never had a claim. And it should be. It just seems like those type of things, because they do ask about that stuff, right? And, And those type of things kind of get just the pure rate indications and the rate increases that they take, the base rates kind of overshadow uh, some of that claim-free stuff and the discounts that they give you for it. So it's not that they're not acknowledging that. It's just that they need so much rate that it just kind of pummels those those good features of the house and says, well, you know, good thing. Because if you were a bad person and you had an old roof and you had a bunch of claims, instead of 38, you'd probably have 65%, right? And so they don't you feel great about that? It's like, no, I don't. 38 still stinks. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, that's kind of the uh, approach often. So basically you're saying the good people are getting punished for some of the bad people that are just not doing what they're supposed to do. They are, and the bad people are getting really punished. So they're getting a really ugly rate, and the good people are getting an ugly rate. Homeowner's insurance is basically a shared risk business. There are three parties in it. The homeowner, the insurance company, and the reinsurer. Right. So the reinsurers have to be looking more kindly on like the type of companies that you represent vis-a-vis like a state farm and all state to sell nationally. I think they do. You know, that's kind of the behind the scenes of really what's driving the rates to consumers are the actual rates that the reinsurers are charging to the insurance companies, right? That's the main driver of rates because the insurance companies aren't retaining all those risks themselves. They're in fact going out and buying the insurance from the reinsurers. It's not a a market. I mean, I'm aware of it a little bit. It's not a market that we play in, but we've heard from executives and company meetings and looking at their Reports that they send out that reinsurance rates are higher than they've been in many, many years. And that's really what's forcing these companies to pass it down to the even the good people, right? That's why Kevin's getting 38% because the reinsurer is charging his carrier 38% more at least. Exactly. Feels good. Mm, man, that sound good. <laughs> so is this a way of looking at things? If you pushed your deductible up to $10,000, right? 5,000. Five, 5,000. Okay. So if you did it to 5,000, 10,000, whatever it is, are you in essence then reinsuring part of your property? I mean, mean self-insuring. Self-insuring it. Yeah. You are. Yeah. Which is what a lot of people in in areas like Florida, California, they're self-insuring not only a deductible, some of them are self-insuring the entire property because they can't get coverage or they can't afford the insurance. And and it's not, you know, on these newer, bigger homes. It's usually on the the couple that has lived in Florida for 70 years and they have one of the little last cottages left. And they said, we can't afford the insurance. So we just have to self-insure the entire thing and if it happens it happens what can we do so it's it's putting people in some bad situations do you suppose we'll reach a tipping point in the state's hardest hit by uh, climate change and other calamities where home values begin to suffer especially states where insurers have decided to pull out i think it has to at some point if it continues just because again homeowners will not be able to afford the total cost of owning a home there right and so forget just the 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 market value of the house is high. Now they have insurance. We'll just use the example that skyrocketed. And they said, we, we can't handle that cost and we can't self-insure this house of this size or this value. So they just may go elsewhere, right? And if there's no demand for those properties, I think it's going to impact the market value. I don't, I don't know when and how that will be, but 
becoming more and more a factor of the insurance than it, it ever has of people making those decisions. So it, it's got to impact it. The big question is, where does this all go? Yeah, and who knows? I mean, that's the hard part. I, I'm I'm hoping that insurers will get a better handle on this or figure out ways to better, even more sophisticated pricing where they can get Kevin a lower rate increase because he's done everything that he should have and his house is great compared to somebody who hasn't so that they can kind of focus in on that a little bit more. But you know, who knows how long that takes and, and what they can do there. What's your take on the state-supported homeowners insured? Is it a long-term solution? I don't think so. I mean, if you're referring to the fair plan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those are right. So it's a place of last resort, really. And that's what it's always been. And it's not an easy process to get it. The coverage is usually pretty limited. Pricing is so-so. So it's usually, it's like, hey, I have nowhere else to go. Let me use this. And so, you know, we don't do much of that business. And just because we try to find another carrier because there's just so many advantages other than the fair plan. But it is a solution. I, I don't know if it's a long-term solution to the to the market, but it's a solution to people that are at their last resort. Well, it is happening in Florida and California now, too. I'm sure it's happening down in uh, Tornado Alley as well, right? It, it is, and it's actually, so there's more states creating fair plans, and it's actually forcing some of these companies to rework their programs, which is good news, right, to try to make them better, more comprehensive programs as opposed to what they've been very limited. So I, I think that's the upside to it. I just don't think it'll get to the point where they can reasonably compete from a coverage perspective with whether it's regional or, or national carriers, traditional homeowners policies. Okay. So the big takeaway here is if you're paying too much for insurance right now and you're with a national carrier, take a look at a regional carrier that doesn't write in states that have enormous problems with the climate or whatever. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Thanks so, for having me. It was great. We'll do it again. I would love to. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship, the Provia way. That's this week's podcast. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 